You're listening to Leading L&D, the podcast that brings you insights, strategies, and stories from the people at the forefront of learning and development in the corporate world. Welcome, Candace. Thanks for coming in today. I'm really excited about hearing what you have to say about the hybrid team in today's work environment and your experience with it. Tell us a little bit more. Well, thank you, Adrian. I really appreciate the invitation. I'm glad to be here, and I'm actually really excited to talk to you about leading hybrid and remote teams because I know it's a, a hot topic right now. And the reason it's a hot topic is because managers now have to lead hybrid and remote teams and they don't necessarily have the information that they need to lead well. And it's something that I've had the privilege to do. I've had the privilege of being a part of a number of different hybrid teams. And so I'm happy to share uh, some best practices and some tips. Well, you know, with the advent of COVID-19, the whole world has changed. And a lot of people who didn't have to do it before are faced with that conundrum today. How did you first feel like doing a hybrid team, leading a hybrid team was something for you, the right thing to do? Well, when you think about it, a lot of companies have actually had hybrid teams for quite some time. Okay, I used to to be part of the Global Learning Services team at GlaxoSmithKline. And just because of the nature of the business, we were internationally based and it was a hybrid team. Some of us were based here in the RTP area, some in Philadelphia, some in the UK, in Europe, and elsewhere in the world. And in fact, back then I had a manager who was very forward-looking and she was happy for us to work Um, from our home offices part of the time because much of the time we were meeting with people online and so really the bulk of the uh, work didn't require being in an office. Okay, so you've done this for quite some time. What were some of the surprises that came around the corner at you that you didn't expect? Well, I think the biggest surprise is that when you go fully remote, Uh, a lot of the opportunities that you have to interact with your colleagues are much more challenging. You can't go to lunch together anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, There aren't those hallway conversations. You can't pop your head in your manager's office and ask a question. Um, It's just uh, those day-to-day interactions that happen naturally in an office environment, you really need to make an effort that they happen in a remote environment. Well, that's a very good point. Uh, In COVID-19, everybody went virtual. And then as COVID waned, a lot of people were coming back into the office. How did you manage the transition of the team to be back in the office? Some of them, all of them. So it is a challenge and different companies are handling that transition differently. But I think the main thing as managers is that we need to be ensuring that everyone on our team, whether they're working remotely, whether they're in the office some of the time or all of the time, that all of those uh, employees um, get the same support and the same opportunity to participate. 
So let me give you just one example, which would be running a hybrid team meeting. So one of the things that my team at SAS did was we met regularly uh, once or twice a month to talk about the work that each of us was doing, either individually or as part of a team, and to share best practice, to share um, ideas about how to deal with certain challenges. And when we were all remote, we were all on Zoom, and you know, you got the Brady Bunch effect going, <laughs> and you could see everyone on the screen, and, and it was really, we, we were all in the same situation. But once you start having people going back to the office, um, at least at a lot of companies, you really have a true hybrid, uh, hybrid team. So you have some people who are joining from their own computer at home. Mm -hmm. You have others who are joining maybe from their own computer at an office at another location. Okay. And then you have people in a conference room joining the meeting. Okay. Now, it's very easy if you're facilitating the meeting and you're in the conference room it can be easy to forget or um, it's just more difficult to make sure that the remote attendees can fully participate. We've all seen that where we've had meetings and we just you, out of sight, out of mind. The people that aren't in the room sometimes get forgotten and put aside. Right. So there are some best practices that you can learn and ways that you can better management, manage that. So one of the things that we did was we would all take our laptops into the meeting. We would mute the sound for the laptop, but we would join the meeting from our laptop so that um, we could talk directly towards our screen. People could, everyone could see our face. And that way, it's not only the people in the conference room who could see your face, look at you, interact, but also the people who were joining remotely um, could see your facial expressions and so on. The other thing that I always did in those meetings was ask someone on the team to be watching the chat and to watch for people who were maybe put their hand up in the um, team's meeting room or the Zoom meeting room and could um, at an appropriate point and interrupt and say, well, you know, Jamie has a question okay. or I can see that um, Julia would like to, to contribute. Um, and so you as the facilitator of the meeting can't do everything. Right. You can't facilitate, take meeting notes, watch the chat. Um, so then I guess you have to realize that, learn right. that. Exactly. And I think a lot of people didn't really think about those things explicitly. And so you really do need to consider what is different now about the environment that we're working in and what can I do differently and what technology can I use to better enable our interactions as a team and our, our collaborative work. What about the relationship sides of it? The relationships with your team members, the relationships with the business units that you serve, even the seat at the table with managing up. So, um, you know, it was in a way it was easier during the pandemic because all of us were remote. And that is more challenging now that we have some people working remote, mm -hmm. some people in the office all the time. Some people are there only a couple of days a week. Um, and I think, well, one of the things that we did as a team was we actually had team check-ins a couple times a week, okay. just a, a scheduled time where you could join an online meeting, chat with your coworkers, tell them about your weekend, 
Um, you know, just do that chit chat that normally would happen at lunch or in the hallways. Okay. And it was very informal and we had a, a Teams channel that was specific to that activity. And it allowed us to do that personal interaction that is so important. Right. You also um, need to do team building activities. And if some of your team is remote, um, you know, that can be a little more challenging. So uh, we did, we played games. Uh, there are online games that you can set up, trivia games, other kinds of interactions that you so can So that's do. a different kind of teaming, but still has some of the same effect. Absolutely. And, uh, and I think that actually the most challenging part of this is for people who are coming to, into a team brand new. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And especially for early career professionals, you know, we had a couple of um, really wonderful new instructional designers join our team straight out of college mm -hmm. over the past couple of years. And it was challenging for them to get to know the team because they didn't have those going to lunch on a regular basis kind of opportunities. D does it make sense that some of the, those younger people might even be better at the hybrid environment since they've grown up with social media and other tools that they can use where they don't have to be in the same room? I Actually, that wasn't my experience. I okay. didn't find that they were necessarily better at it. And in fact, I think that some time in person was really important for them. Okay. So we're all um, humans, aren't we? Right, exactly. <laughs> so at uh, the last, my last team at SAS, I actually made the decision to be hybrid. SAS enabled employees to make that decision to stay remote, to be hybrid, or to be in the office full time. And I made the decision to be hybrid because we had these new team members, and I wanted to be there at least a couple of days a week to interact with them. In person. Well, I thought that was important. That leads to my next question. How has working with a hybrid team changed your leadership styles? I think it's made me a much better leader because I've had to really think more carefully about how are we interacting as a team? How are we collaborating? Am I really connecting with everyone one-on-one? -on -one? Am I, um, you know, truly clued into what they're doing every day what their challenges are, do they have everything they need? And it really made me think more carefully and specifically about how we were interacting and how we could improve the way we work. Would it be fair to say that that's made you a more hands-on leader or a less hands-on leader? Um, I don't know about that. Uh, I think I was always um, hands-on from the perspective of meeting with my team regularly, mm -hmm. being available anytime they needed help. Um, I think it really was more just a matter of looking at specific tools that could enable us to work better as, as a team and looking at particular processes. Um, and it maybe also made me stop and think about some things like development opportunities. Okay. Were we truly giving our employees the development opportunities that they needed and that they should have. Well, you're playing right into my hand because my next question would be, how does leading a hybrid team uh, change the ways in which you develop your team members? 
I'm not sure if it changes it a lot, but I do think that you need to think about how is that development going to happen mm-hmm. for remote employees, mm-hmm. fully remote well, employees. Well, I think that's point, part and parcel of it. Right, right there. absolutely. And also, if you're lucky enough to have most of your team members who who may actually be fully remote, but maybe they're close enough that they can come and okay. participate in in-person team buildings, the occasional lunch or team celebration. Um, but in terms of development activities, it's really about engaging each of your employees on a regular basis and asking them about um, the areas where they want to develop and helping them find the resources they need to get that development done. Well, and there's very little substitute, even in the 21st century, for a warm handshake. And if, if you can show people you care, then they're going to be more apt to believe you than just a screen on the face, a face on the screen. Yeah, absolutely. Well, for me, I felt like the most important thing was to make sure that we talked about development needs regularly. So that was one of our topics at our one-on-ones, and we came back to that on a regular basis, and I made sure that they had plans and that those plans were progressing and that they actually scheduled time for development. Because when you're in a high-pressure environment and there's a lot to do, that tends to be the first thing that goes. Let's, let's dive a little deeper into how we might define the hybrid teams that you have worked with. And your experience is working on a hybrid team that you work both in the office and outside the office? That has been my experience. And uh, and there's another term that people use sometimes called the distributed team. And that is normally used to refer to teams like the ones I worked on at GlaxoSmithKline, which were distributed internationally. Okay. So some people are working um, in offices in other locations. Some people are working remotely from their home. Some people may be working in a hybrid um, fashion, um, both in the office and from their home. Um, and all of those things can work as long as you have the right processes in place to make sure that the, the team uh, is is working together efficiently. Well, and with the processes, uh, one of my questions would be, how do you skill people up for working in a hybrid environment? Because like humans, we are, some people are just better at it than others. Right. Well, so there is training out there on some of the, the tools. So for example, you can take training on Microsoft Teams. Um, and we did have members of our team who took training and came back and shared what they learned with us. Okay. So that's a great way to do it. The other thing to do, it, you know, and this depends a little bit on the personality of, of each individual. Um, often you can simply dive into the tool and let's try it out. Let's see okay. what we can do. And we did a certain amount of that. Um, and we made some mistakes along the way. And that's okay because you learn what is this tool good for? What is the business process for using it most effectively? And you might change how you use it as you go along. So you simply need to be interested in learning, you know, always curious and willing to be flexible. Have you faced the conundrum of people feeling as though they might be discriminated when you decide that you're eligible to work as a hybrid worker and you're not? 
So I think, um, thankfully, that kind of decision is always made above my head. <laughs> I don't want responsibility for that. I think the real key is that companies need to be transparent about their decisions, and there needs to be some logic behind them. So, for example, SAS thankfully made the decision that each individual could decide for themselves how they wanted to, to work, whether they wanted to stay remote after the pandemic, whether they wanted to be hybrid or in the office full time. And for our team, that made a lot of sense because everything that we did could easily be done remotely. You know, not every job is like that. So I think the main thing is that a company needs to be transparent and clear about what their expectations are. Well, and some people uh, change their minds and maybe they thought they could be successful working in a hybrid environment. And all of a sudden for personal or professional reasons, they can't. Right. Um, you know, and part of it, if, if you look at the research, there's a lot of research out there that says that um, individuals with young families tend to really prefer a remote or hybrid model because that gives them the flexibility uh, or more flexibility to manage the needs of their families as well as getting their work done, you know, well and efficiently. Um, so it does have something to do with individual preference. And I think employees definitely appreciate it if employers give them uh, the flexibility to make that choice. Well, I think that's on both sides of the gender model, too. I mean, men have wanted for many years to become more involved in the family life, right. and women don't want to be pigeonholed to it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, the other thing is that empl employers need to be sure that everyone up and down the food chain, so to speak, has the same understanding of what the requirements are. Um, I think there can be, you know, employees might worry a little bit that if they're going to be remote, that, you know, they can be overlooked, um, that their work might not be as visible. And there are ways as a manager you can make sure that doesn't happen. So, for okay. example, on our team, um, you know, we tried to do a good job of reporting up um, what we were accomplishing and the significance of those accomplishments. We also, uh, you know, you do the same things you would do with any team, which is when when someone does something um, that needs recognition, <clears throat> that recognition can be as simple as an email to their manager, maybe copying the next level up. Um, one thing we did was we entered our e-learning courses in a competition every year so that we would get feedback on our courses, and actually every year we won usually two awards. And so that was another way that we could give positive recognition to our team and also com communicate to management, um, you know, the kind of work that we were doing. I've read in some of your work that you've seen benefits to operating in a hybrid model with an international team across multiple time zones. Can you tell us a little bit more that, about that? Sure. Uh, sometimes we've had learning content development projects where the subject matter experts were based um, overseas in India, in Australia. And so one of the things that you can do when the time zone is that dramatic is that you can actually uh, do the work in your time zone, 
Maybe your work is reviewing some content that's been developed. And then you can uh, send that work back to your colleague in the other country. And they can do their review or whatever other work they need to do and send it back to you the next day. If that's, you know, if that's how quick your transition periods are, your handoffs. So um, it can be challenging working with people in other time zones, but you can also build that into your process. Yeah, it sounds like you found a way to make that a tool and work around it, in fact. Yeah, absolutely. Have you seen other benefits um, that you'd want to talk about in terms of working with a hybrid model for the business? Um, sure. So I think, I think one of the biggest benefits to the business is the value that employees get from a hybrid model. Okay. If you allow them that flexibility, that's one of those factors that builds trust in the relationship. Uh, you know, it's funny, a few times I've read or I've seen people who asked, well, you know, how do you keep track of what your employees are doing if they're working remotely from you? Well, my question would be, how did you keep track of them before? Exactly. Did you stand behind their back and, you know, watch what they were working on? No, of course not. So really, um, it's, it is um, a trust that you play, place in your employees that they are going to do good work wherever they're located, and they will repay that trust in kind. It's a great relationship builder. Okay. um, You surprised me a little bit when you said that, uh, especially in L&D, the hybrid model works so well, when in fact we hear from so many people that this is a collaborative effort, that you have to be face-to-face with your customers, your internal business units, or whoever they may be. Right. How do you speak to that? Well, even before the pandemic, when we went remote, we were already working with people in other parts of the country mm-hmm. and globally, as I mentioned. Uh, and the way you would work with those people is in online meetings. We have great collaboration tools. One of the things that we learned to do during the pandemic that has served us well is to make better use of those collaboration tools. So, for example, you can do review of Microsoft Word and PowerPoint documents in Teams, and you can actually have multiple people reviewing a document at the same time in Teams, and they won't be stepping on one another. So, you know, there's this explosion of technology out there to support collaboration to support remote or hybrid working. And you just need to make sure that you are going out there and getting the right tools for your team. Or if it's a matter of, it might be a matter of simply better using the tools that you already have. Wow. Well, it sounds like you've had great experience with it and that you've enjoyed working in a hybrid model. Um, One question I might have about that is how does it change your ability to delegate authority to other team members to give them power? Uh, I, I'm not sure that it really changes that. Um, I think if you're a good leader, you're already delegating. Uh, and I hopefully you're thinking very um, strategically mm-hmm. about how to delegate work. And watching other people and how they... Right. Are strategic about those decisions. Absolutely. And I think you continue to have conversations with your team about where they see themselves going. 
So, for example, there was a person on my team who is interested eventually in moving into a leadership role. And we had someone on a related team who needed some additional, um, I don't, supervision, I guess would be the best okay. word, but also assistance in learning some of our processes. And so I asked the individual interested in leadership if she would work with this person on this other team. And she did that and she did an outstanding job. Both of them enjoyed that working relationship. Oh, great. And it, so it was a, it was, um, great for our work. It was great for the development of both of them. And really it was a win-win for everyone. For the business. Yeah, too. absolutely. You know, I, I, I don't mean to cut, catch you off guard, but I have one question that I've been asking our, our guests on the podcast that I want to run by you and see how you take it. If you had a, if, if you had to pick a mentor, living or dead, if you had to pick a mentor to take you through the next five years of your career, who might that be and why? Well, the person that comes to mind immediately, actually, is a wonderful manager that I worked with at GlaxoSmithKline. Her name is Kathy Bartholomew, okay. and she was a director in the IT learning space at GSK. And I... Um, because I was contract labor at GSK, I didn't work directly for her, but um, I did run global teams that were under her purview. And so I had an opportunity to work with her a lot. And she is one of those individuals who's very sharp, um, thinks really clearly about what is needed and what the options are to deliver the greatest value to the business. But she's also incredibly calm, and she's just the kind of person, she's um, soft-spoken, calm, very clear-headed, and I always admired how she was able to really cut through maybe the confusion or um, the profusion of ideas that were in our workplace. And she was able to figure out what, what the best direction was to, to go. It sounds like you have such a clear idea of her model that you're already trying to emulate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. She taught me a lot of really helpful things. And uh, sometimes I hear her voice in my head. Do you know her well enough that you could tap her? Absolutely. That yeah. sounds like a good, good plan, too, moving yeah. forward. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and for putting in your input on this important subject. I know it's something that keeps a lot of learning leaders up at night, but with a little bit of your help, maybe they can get more sleep. Also, I'll mention to our viewers that if you want to know more about Candace and her take on leading hybrid L&D teams, she has a couple of articles posted on her LinkedIn page, and we will leave links to those articles in the notes for this podcast. Thanks for joining us today, and thank you, Candace. Thank you, Adrian. Thanks for joining us today for Timely Text Podcast, Leading L&D. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and give us five stars. 
Even better yet, enter your comments to the LinkedIn post and tell us what we might do better next time.